0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. O, O,
1: O, O'Reilly Auto Parts.
0: The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.
2: All right, time to talk about a team here on the sports cage that's been pretty dominant all season long. So it's just rightfully so we refer to them as the SJHL champions, the Battleford North Stars, Their head coach, GM Braden Clamosco, joining me. How are you, Braden? Good, man, and you? <laughs> good. You got, uh, understatement. You're good. What a what a season this has been. Um, where does this rank for you in terms of uh, hockey seasons, either as a player or a coach?
3: You know what they're tough to compare um they're, they're all good you know the ones that you've had success you know as a coach or as a player and you know this is no different you know it's it's one of the top teams i've been able to be a part of you know and uh yeah it's it's special for sure so uh is it tougher to stay like to be at the top basically
2: all season or try to keep uh scraping and clawing to get to the top
3: it, it it's tougher to be there, I think, at times. But also, it um you you get more of a test than what people think because you're seeing everyone's best a lot of nights. And I think that really was good for us, you know, moving in, you know, the second half of the season. Right? Everyone wanted to be the team to kind of knock us off or play their best game verse. And I thought we we experienced that at a lot of times. And I think it just made us better and it made us more hungry. I think. You know, once playoffs started.
2: Did Weyburn wake you up right at the start?
3: Absolutely, they did. It was a good series. You know, they they played us hard for for five straight. It wasn't easy on us at all.
2: Yeah. So talk about this last series against Flin Flon. How did you see it through your eyes at the bench there?
3: You know what? Um, You know, I thought game one, we, we were, that could have been our best game all year. You know, I thought we were ready to go and played well. Uh, game two, I thought we started off really strong. Our our goaltender Josh Cote in the third, you know, kept us uh, kept us probably in one where you know it probably not a three nothing score. Game three, I thought we came out again pretty hard. I thought uh, you know another good game by us, and then game four, Flintland came at us hard. You know, I think we were you know watching it again yesterday. Might have been fortunate to win that one. I think we, a lot of bounces went our way.
2: So, uh, Braden Clavosco, is there somebody on your roster or a couple of people that, uh, you know, playoff time, there's always the Fernando Pisanis, the John Drews, the unsung heroes. Are there a couple of names that uh, don't get a lot of publicity that probably should
3: deserve some? Absolutely. There's lots of them. I, I think our third line, um, you know, Keaton Klein, Colby Bear, Uh, Jordan grill were, were a huge part of our success in the final series. You know, those guys were, were elite. And I think one guy that doesn't get credit all season is Tanner gold. Um, as defenseman, his dad passed away in January and we, three of the losses that we had in January, he wasn't there for. So really he's, he's had even a better record than, than our team has all year. Just, he's a big part of what we, we do, uh, you know, on the offensive and defensive side of it and a big leader in our room. So Tanner Gold is the unsung hero for the whole year, in my opinion. Uh,
2: You know what? I I love stories, not that particular outcome with somebody passing away, but I love stories in behind the scores. For for sure. But from your perspective, um, how do you deal with that as a coach? And what I mean by that is how do you deal with that player? Uh, You got to be a part counselor, part coach.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, And you know what? The one thing Tanner you know, the one thing he he made sure that he wanted to feel comfortable is don't treat me any different, you know, and he he thought his safe area was with the hockey team, and I think that was the one thing that you wanted to make sure is it, it's actually different in this situation where you're just, you've got to be, you know, hard on them when you have to be hard on them, be, you know, obviously give him you know the respect when he needs it type of thing but he wanted to keep it as is as, as normal as we could throughout this whole process and i tried to do my best through that
2: so the battleford uh north stars are now going to represent the sjhl in the national championship in portage but that doesn't get going until may 11th so uh what what do these next uh i guess it's pro- what is it a blessing and a
3: curse kind of coach i, I would say yeah 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 we're I'm just looking at my – I'm starting to make a calendar here on my whiteboard, probably going to get raced three or four times to see how we're going to manage this. But, um, yeah, it, it is a blessing it's a, and a curse is right. Like, I don't think anyone's going to complain you're going to the national tournament, but it is a little bit of a process away here, you know. So, yeah, I can't I'm, – I'm looking at the dates. You know, it's the 24th today. I'm looking at, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 17 days before our next game. I I can't practice 16 straight days and expect the boys to be totally bought into the whole process there. So I, uh, I don't know what our schedule is going to look like. I've gotten texts from players and parents wondering what to expect, like if the guys are going to get days off. I'm not sure yet. I'm just yeah. trying to figure this out and uh after this call I might have an idea more in about a couple hours. Is
2: it uh is it a chance to maybe do a little bit of extra team building, you know, like I'm just throwing it out there. Go for a bowling night or go out for a meal and just uh soak it all in cuz that's something that I think in sports whether you're an announcer or whether you're a coach or a player, sometimes we don't I don't think we appreciate these moments.
3: I agree. You know, and we're going to try to. The one thing I'm always scared of is like you know, for instance, they do a slow pitch game. Well, who's the first guy that's going to sprint an ankle play a slow pitch? <laughs> you know, or something like that. So you're you're always it's such a gray area of they got to keep busy and they got to have some fun, but you got to make sure that they're rested and not getting injured away from the rink either. Are you pretty healthy? We are. We we have been all, all year. I I can't I can't believe it how healthy we've been. It's Bruins like. Anyone that's ever won will tell you you got to get lucky as well. And we've we lucked out big time all season, knock on wood, that, uh, you know, we have been so healthy.
2: Lastly, Coach, will be will there be somebody you seek advice from that's been through something like this, either a coach that's coached at the Memorial Cup or, you know, uh, or will you just lean on your past experiences? What are you going to do here for yourself?
3: Lots, lots. I'm looking forward to meeting with my dad too. Yeah, He's been to three of them. Yeah, you know, he yeah, was yeah. assistant coach of the Broncos for three, you know, you know, pick his brain a little bit. Um, you know, uh, it's been a while since I've been there. You know, I was I was there in oh eight and, you know, obviously yep. watched him in oh nine and twelve, but could use any kind of, you know, advice I can to my advantage. So there's lots Dean Brockman I'll use, you know, um, you know, use a couple others that, you know, use Tartsey and, and and Mike Reagan that both were there last year that, you know, we I haven't had no one's experienced the tournament format that they have other than those two guys. So I've got nothing better to do. I might as well seek some advice from some other people. That's
2: good. Hey, uh, Brayden, that's pretty interesting. Like you and Mike are close. Like you just beat his team to go onto the championship. Some guys are like, I'm not helping you out.
3: You, you know what? It, it doesn't work like that. Like Greg's and I talked about it right after the game. He's like, go win this damn thing, you know? And And that's, 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 that's the cool thing about the SJHL is everyone's cheering for everybody. You know, at the end of the day, we want the, what's best for our league. You know, if, if I got a, like, a, if I have to, uh, you know, if I think a guys a Division One commit from Flint I'm going to come, I'm going to promote him to schools, you know, and uh, understand we work together as a group here. It's only going to make our league and our, our team stronger.
2: Well, it's where I started one of my favorite leagues, the SJHL, in any sport. Good luck, man. We'll uh, catch up with you as we get closer to the tournament, which feels like a million miles away. Enjoy the (laughs) downtime or whatever you're going to do, okay? Will
3: do, pal. Thank you.
4: I'm Andrew Dawson from the 620 CKRM Newsroom. Here is what's making news this hour. Regina Police continuing to investigate a fatal crash that involved a pedestrian. This happened early yesterday morning at 13th and Garnet. That name of the person has not been released. The RCMP will give the public an update on the mass stabbing on the James Smith Cree Nation this week, specifically the timeline of events on that tragic weekend in September of last year. And the federal government putting more teeth into its passengers' bill of rights for air travelers the government says airlines are taking advantage of loopholes and uh, trying not to pay passengers 620 ckrm weather partly cloudy tonight with a low of minus two cloudy to start the day tomorrow but we should see some sunshine by tomorrow afternoon southeast wind gusting to 50 tomorrow's high is six degrees that's your 620 ckrm 60 second news update i'm andrew dawson
2: Time now for your sports ticker, and uh, we'll tell you tonight, the NHL Devils at the Rangers. Uh, Devils trailing the series two games to one. They won the last one in overtime. Leafs did the same thing, beating the Lightning. I believe it was 4-3, to three, so they're up two games to one. It's the uh, Golden Knights at Winnipeg. No Morrissey, no Oilers for the Jets. No chance. Golden Knights should win that one. And the Avalanche at the Kraken, up two games to one. No Valerie Nakushkin though. Nakushkin has left the team for personal reasons. He did so before Game 3, so they're not sure uh, what's up there. There's no other um, news. Moose Jaw Warriors are home to Winnipeg tonight. Ice trying to close that series out up three games to two. How about the Blades? They came back from 3 nothing down in the series, forcing a Game 7. We'll have Les Lazarek, voice of the team, on just after 4 o'clock. And Aaron Rodgers has been traded finally for draft picks to the Jets. And I have to say this. It's kind of funny on a day like today that Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon have been fired on the same day. Will they join forces and do a podcast? I doubt it. One guy will be very successful, bigger than he ever was, and the other guy will be Don Lemon.
0: Each week, the Sports Cage highlights a coach making a difference both on and off the playing surface. This is the Coach of the Week.
2: Well, normally in this spot on a Monday, we look at the coach of the week, but I wanted to just focus on the overall sport of badminton in high school and uh, the Badminton City Championship results. The final team standings in 2023, Campbell finished first with 63 points, Leboldis 61, O'Neal at 53, Riffle at 36 and rounding out the top five with Sheldon Williams with 32 points. The Most Improved Team Award goes to the team that shows the greatest increase in points from the previous year, and they'll receive the award. It'll be determined by dividing the points received from the previous city championship into points received from the current city championship. The school with the higher ratio will be the winner. And this year in the White Division, the Most Improved Team Award, Sheldon Williams. In the Blue Division, it was Campbell. Congratulations to those teams and all the teams that took part in a very successful badminton season at the high school level here in
0: Regina. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. And welcome back to the show.
2: Time to keep this thing rolling. Let's head out in the Western Pizza Hotline, talk to the outstanding voice of the Edmonton Elks on 630 Jed, That would be Morley Scott, who used to be the color commentator on the Edmonton Oilers radio network. We'll start there. Did you stay up to watch that thing? You know, I did, Michael. I'm dragging today, though. My wake-up call is 3.30
5: to get up to, to do the morning show, and I stayed up. Game. I was uh, probably in bed a little after 11, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a tough day, but worth it. I mean, Friday night's game so entertaining, and then the way last night's game went—you know, the roller coaster ride was unbelievable. So I couldn't leave it, uh, couldn't leave it without seeing how it finished. And uh, yeah, it was worth it because it was just a tremendous hockey game. That's what playoff hockey's all about, yeah. right there—the yeah. uh, ups, the downs, uh, the goats, the heroes. Everything was in that one. It was—it uh, was just a fascinating night,
2: wasn't it? And uh, I'm on a, a little a group chat with uh, my son and my uh, cousin, who's a firefighter in uh, in Edmonton area there, and we're all Oiler fans, and they were cashing it in when it was 3-0, I said, guys, we got the two best players in the world, and we've been hanging with them, we've just had some breakdowns, we're coming back, and then their tune quickly changed, but I'll tell you what, man, Jack Campbell, that was a $5 million save right there.
5: (laughs) Yeah, it sure was, it's funny how how the worm turned for him, too, I mean, he's been on the bench since uh, late in the regular season, when he had that, uh, I think he had the shutout in Anaheim. I think and and played played really well on his last two starts and then he's been sitting on the bench for the last couple of weeks but uh, he did get an opportunity to play and uh, he shut the door man the second period uh, what he stopped 17 shots in the second period made some big saves to keep it within reach and you know the, the, to me in the NHL and those kind of games it's all about the next goal and he wouldn't allow LA to score the next goal I mean they get up they get up. Four nothing, or four one, or or whatever the case may be, five two. You know, when they when they get start to build that lead, that's when you're in trouble. And he wouldn't allow them to get that next goal uh, to 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 either get it to three uh, three goal lead or back to a two goal lead or whatever. So yeah, he he did his job for sure. And now the water cooler talk. Uh, do they still have water coolers? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, they the do. anymore, right? yeah, they do. But now the talk the talk now is who starts to net tomorrow night and. Jay Woodcroft uh, was asked that last night, and uh, he uh, he took a pass on an answer. I imagine he'll take a pass on an answer today when he meets with the media. We won't find out probably till tomorrow morning during the game day skate. So, um, yeah, it's it's I, it's a tough decision. I mean, uh, is, I it, is, it, start, is it is it is uh, it? I can I make it, a case to start Campbell. I can make a case to go back to Stuart Skinner. So, uh, luckily, I don't get paid to make that decision, and it's all on Jay Woodcroft.
2: I think the the second goal was uh, was uh, Skinner's got to stop that, but I. I think uh i think you got to go back to skinner i think you got to run him back at least you know now campbell can come in if you need him
5: yeah it's all about the now though man i mean uh i'm kind of leaning towards going with campbell um because like Stuart skinner had won one out of three games in this series he was on his way to losing his third game in this series last night jack campbell came in and got the win i think you ride the hot hand i think you ride the hot hand and then see where it takes you and and maybe they're gonna have you know they always say you got to get you got to get two goaltenders going sometimes in the playoffs and maybe this is this is the case i can see them at some point maybe going back to skinner in this series or another series if they win but i don't know i think tomorrow i'd go with jack campbell
2: so uh that's a memorable moment in oilers history right there could be season defining okay that 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 whole game but for you in the booth was it marchant's goal in dallas yeah, also earlier in that series, the last time the Oilers came back from a 3 nothing deficit oh, yeah. uh, in a
5: game was that game that they also won in overtime. Kelly Bookberger, I believe, scored in overtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Oilers scored like three goals in the last five minutes of the third period uh, to tie the game at three. I think that was game five, I think, in the series. Uh, not sure. Your memory is getting a little foggy yeah. on that one. But, yeah, uh, I know uh, Greer scored and Doug Wade scored. And I, I vividly, though, I do remember... Doug Wade scoring to make it three-one. I think there's like four or five minutes left, and he's looking up at the scoreboard, and you can see it in his eyes like, "Let's go, we can do this." And they ended up coming back and and tying it, and then uh, Bookburger scored, I believe it was Bookburger or Greer, I'm not sure, in overtime to win it. So that to me was was kind of what on par with this game last night. Uh, but <clears throat> I mean, last night that's the season right there for the Oilers. I mean. Uh, the goaltending of Jack Campbell the, the late goal tied by Evander Kane a winner by Zach Hyman those three guys uh saved the series maybe saved the season for the Edmonton Oilers.
2: Yeah and uh, just to replay cuz I just actually saw the replay of what you were talking about there it was wait on a on a weak little backhand then it was Kovalenko coming in then it was Greer and then it was a Buckburger with uh, Greer out uh, going by the crease there. That was uh, that was awesome. I love that. That was <laughs> that was very memorable. Yeah, crazy. Hey, uh, Morley Scott, let's talk a little football here. The Edmonton Elks have, uh, you know, they've loaded up in the receiving core, no doubt about that. Um are, you know, how do, how do you feel they've spent their money in this off season? I think they've spent it where they need to
5: spend it for the most part. Uh they have uh improved their receiving core they've improved uh, their defensive backfield and they've improved their defensive line i think those are the three areas that troubled me going uh, into this season from last year and they made the right moves with a lot of guys there uh, but i mean uh, they certainly have given taylor cornelius the weapons uh, now it's on him to make sure he uses the weapons correctly and gets them the football so yeah i, I think they spent the money wisely and i think you know, and and I, I feel kind of silly saying this because in 2021 I thought they'd made the right moves and were going to be better. In 2022 I thought they made the right moves and were going to be better. Uh, and uh, this year I, I feel the same way. But uh, I think the key, I think they were better last year, but injuries really hurt them more than anything else last year. Uh, I, I think they're, I think they're a pretty good team this year right now, and I think they're going to challenge for not just a playoff spot, but maybe, uh, maybe a home game in second place.
2: They have to, don't they? They're falling behind it as far as, uh, es- or Elks and Oilers in that town now. It used to be Eskimos and, uh, and Oilers kind of running neck and neck, but it's, uh, it's not a race right now.
5: Uh, not right, not right now with what's going on. That, that, you know, it, it's kind of, I feel tough for, it's a tough thing for the Elks because they're going to kick off the season possibly around the same time the Oilers, uh, well, training camp around the same time the Oilers could be in the second round, uh, the preseason, the regular season round when the Oilers could be in the Stanley Cup final if they, if they get that far. I know I'm putting the, I'm putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but, uh, and, 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 you know, that's where all the interest is going to be. And it, it's, it's going to be tough for the Elks to, to sell seats, especially given what's happened at home over the last two years, but uh, they can't control that, so they just got to go out and, and do whatever they can to, to make the team better and put on the best kind of performance they can for their home games.
2: Yeah, what do you make of that? Uh, of course, it's a guaranteed win night against our Rough Riders, and now and now 90 fans at $250 a pop get to uh, put their names inside the, the, the helmet decals for that game. What do you make of that as voice of the team, a guy that's been around that storied logo for a long time? I, I think
5: it's pretty cool, actually. It's a one-game thing, and uh, for people who haven't heard, I'll, I'll try and describe it as best I can. They're going to put, uh, you can purchase a, cha- a spot on the double E uh, on the stickers for uh, for the helmet, so you'll have individual names written all over that. They're doing ninety forty-five on each side of the helmet, and then they're going to take those uh, stickers and uh, take them off the helmets, along with all the other stickers that are on the helmets, and that means the the Canadian flag, the CFL sticker that's always on there, and uh, also this year the Elks are going to have a, uh, a sticker to commemorate uh, the the death of Christian Salisbury over the off season. So they are going to take those four stickers along with uh, with the with the Elks logo and frame it up nice for for you, and then you'll be able to to hang that up in the office or in the fan cave or wherever you want to put it. I think it's a pretty cool keepsake. And really, when you think about what people spend for uh, for souvenirs and and for uh, sports memorabilia. Two hundred fifty bucks is not that bad to have that kind of a thing hanging on your wall with with those stickers and and it 's going to be autographed by the, by one of the players who wore the uh who wore the helmet as well, so that's. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of nice. And again, it's it's the Elks kind of thinking outside the box a little bit to uh, create some excitement, to create some revenue. Although I don't know how much money they're going to make off of it after they after they uh, you know uh, frame it up nice and everything. But still, it's. I think it's a pretty cool move. I think uh, I'm, I I hope fans take advantage of it because it's it's something that has never been done before. I,
2: I'm I'm against gimmicky stuff, and I was initially, but Luke Mullender, our color guy, uh, he he uh, he laid it out perfectly. He was in the camp. Uh, that you just said, I I think, you know what? It's not a bad deal to be quite honest with you. You got to think outside the box. And sometimes we get to me, to me, ballsy. It's not so much gimmicky because it's only a one-time
5: thing. They're not doing this every week. Yeah. It's a one-time thing. Maybe they'll do it again for the season opener next year. If it's successful, maybe they won't, I don't know, but it's a one-time thing. And I think that kind of takes
2: the gimmicky aspect of it out. Yeah. That's a good point, Morley Scott. Lastly, do you feel like if this team can, um, can get some wins in the column, especially early. We'll see uh, more respectable crowds. And let's and let's not jump all over the Elks in the CFL because let's be honest here, the Edmonton Oilers didn't sell out all their games either, and they only have an eighteen thousand uh, dollar, eighteen thousand seat right. stadium. And and you know you got a sixty four thousand or whatever seat stadium at Commonwealth. There you get twenty five thousand. It doesn't look that great, but it's still a pretty healthy crowd. Yeah, let's not I know there were some
5: no-shows uh, the last couple of years especially late in both seasons but let's not forget the Elks are still in the upper half of attendance uh in the Canadian Football League and as he said uh, the Oilers didn't sell out the Riders didn't sell out their games the Blue Bombers I don't think sold no. out many if any games as well so it's not just an Edmonton thing it's a pro sports thing I believe my goodness there's what 8000 people out of the Detroit Tigers game last week so um yeah it's 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 pro sports more so but in Edmonton it's magnified because what are you coming to? I mean, they haven't won a home game in two seasons. Yeah. Um, And, and I think that that, that is part of it they've got the, the again i'll correct you uh they're not saying guaranteed win night they're saying guaranteed win ticket right yeah um, and that's and that's kind of what the uh what the situation is if, if they don't win against the riders on june 11th then you get that exact same ticket those that exact same seat for the next home game and if you don't win that one then you're gonna get that ticket for the third home game and once you win then you gotta start paying for your tickets again after that and these are these seats, by the way, that they did this that they did this with these aren't these aren't up in this upper deck or thing these are the, the the high price seats these are the best seats in the house so uh, they have sold a lot of them too. I know I was talking to Victor quee just after a couple of weeks after they went on sale, and he said he was surprised at how many they sold right out of the gate and I think they had to make more available a little bit later on so it has been uh, uh, you know the opportunity to get some possibly some free seats are there although it, it's kind of weird for a fan right you're buying a ticket there i could get I could get free seat if my team loses right so you <laughs> want your team to lose right so it's, it's kind of a it's kind of a rock and a hard place for the fan between his uh between his heart and his uh, and his wallet but that's uh that's what the situation is and good on the Yanks for at least having some fun with it and doing something like you're not running away and hiding from uh all these losses at home and uh you know what if they win i think if they win game one i think it'll change the complexion of a lot of people when they look at the ox or even if they play well and have a good game against the riders.
2: Well, um, Morley, I um, you corrected me and that's cr- you're you're accurate with your information, but as the voice of the riders, I'm trying to get people fired up here in Regina saying, "Hey, <laughs> they're guaranteeing a win against us. How can they do that?" So, yeah, that's what that's what I'm trying to do well, here.
5: Maybe maybe those rider fans you come and buy some of those tickets then.
2: They probably will. They probably <laughs> will. Hey, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Anytime, Bobby.
0: Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the Mighty 620 CKRM.
2: And on this Monday, all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Check your neighborhood Western Pizza for their pickup and dine in specials. I'm Michael Ball, along with my backup producer and my sidekick in the sports department, Blaine Weiland. Sean Kleisinger is in England. Honoring his, I believe it was his grandfather that passed away, and his grandfather always wanted to go watch soccer in England, so he's going to watch Premier League soccer, so that's cool. He's uh, staying at a couple of uh, hostels, he said, and just uh, going to watch soccer. He likes doing it all by himself, man. Yeah, that's cool. I.
6: You know, I'm not a big soccer guy myself, but, you know, going up to watch one in in England would be
2: pretty cool. Yeah. So Aaron Rodgers has been traded. He's been shipped from the uh, Packers to the New York Jets. We talked about this zinger, and I speculated on this in college. Aaron wore number eight. It would be kind of sacrilegious for him to take number 12 because that's Joe Namaths, although Namath said he could have it. And it would be stupid for him to actually totally follow Brett Favre and wear number four, which was open too. So he... uh as it is, it's ridiculous. He's following the path of Brett Farm. <laughs> Does he go to Minnesota next? I don't know. But he's going to wear number eight. Basically, what it comes down to is they get a first round pick. They switch a bunch of picks. And then if he plays 65% of the snaps or more, then the Packers get another first round pick. Otherwise, it's a second round pick. Well, so,
6: it's a second round that becomes a... First it's a second
2: round, but it becomes a first round if he gets 65. One, um, first, sorry, yeah. it's, it's two second rounders, but one yeah. of them becomes a first round Yeah, pick. so there you go. So that's basically what it comes down to. Actually it's funny. I was uh, I was thinking about this. I was looking. I was trying to do a CFL spin here. Okay, um, let's look at some of the big quarterback trades in the CFL. Remember, two thousand and seven, Kerry Joseph. The Riders sent Kerry Joseph and a third round pick in the twenty ten draft to the Argonauts in exchange for offensive tackle Glenn January, defensive lineman, Ronald Flemins, Toronto's first round selection in the two thousand eight draft, the Toronto's second round pick in the twenty ten CFL draft, because he couldn't they they didn't want to pay him as so much yeah, money, right? I remember that, yep. Oh, people were he was mad, fans were mad. Eric Tillman, the guy who traded Kerry Joseph and Ricky Ray, as a matter of fact, out of Edmonton to Toronto. Um June 7th, 2003. Now you remember this trade too, probably. Lions trade quarterback Damon Allen to the Argonauts in exchange for a second round pick in the 2004 CFL Canadian draft. The third round pick in the five draft. The CFL's all-time leading passer goes on to beat the Lions in the 2004 <laughs> Grey Cup. That's the one where Jason Claremont of Virginia was named the outstanding Canadian in that game. It was in Ottawa, if you remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the uh, Renegades would fold after that. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And that was a, he had predicted after they won the East final, we will be playing the BC Lions in the West uh, or in the Grey Cup because they're going to win the West final, and uh, they did so and uh, played the Saskatchewan or played the um, Toronto Argonauts and 42 year old Damon Allen, which was pretty impressive because like he wasn't a stationary like Tom Brady guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where Brady is just there, gets rid of the football. Like Allen was running around using his legs at 42, his pretty good feet there.
6: Yeah, it's kind of... I almost kind of forget about how Damon Allen played well into his 40s. Yeah, And like you said, he's not like a stationary quarterback like Tom Brady. He's a very mobile
2: quarterback Mm -hmm. through his days. BC Lions traded quarterback in February 28, 2000. Kahari Jones and a fourth-round draft pick in the 2000 CFL Canadian draft to the Bombers in exchange for offensive lineman Chris Perez, a backup. Until that point, Jones would lead the Blue Bombers to a berth in the 2001 Grey Cup. Uh, He was named the most outstanding player... uh, In the league that year. But of course, his Bombers at 14 and 4 would lose to Wally Buono, the vaunted Marcus Crandall led Calgary Stampeders at the Big O. You remember that one? Yeah, they were what, 7 and 9? Or no? No, they were 8 and 10. 8 and 10, yeah. And the other guys were 14 and 4. That's the only Grey Cup I ever missed. I never watched that game. I never watched it in replay. Just saw snippets here and there because Rod Peterson was the voice of the Pats and the Riders at that time. And he started out west on the trip with the Pats and then had to fly to go cover this first one of his first great cups is the voice of the riders uh, with the sports yeah. cage. And so I had to cover and be the I was the backup Pats play by play, man. So I had to cover the rest of the trip. The Pats got a point in every one of those every one of those uh, games on the trip with Bob Lowe's, their head coach.
6: Yeah. And I remember, I remember the Marcus Crandall game where the, the Stampeders won and just the whole nature I remember of
2: thinking, you know, of a team dominating the entire
6: season and just losing the just comes down to one game.
2: January 28th, 1993, this was a blockbuster. The Eskimos traded the most outstanding player in 89, Tr- uh, Tr- uh, Tracy Ham. defensive backs Enos Jackson and Travis Oliver, slot backs Craig Ellis and Ken Winey. fullback Chris Johnstone, linebacker John Davis, D lineman Cam Brousseau, and a draft choice to the Argonauts in exchange for quarterback Ricky Foggy, slot backs DK Smith, uh, JP Escuerto, wide receiver Eddie Downtown Brown, cornerback Ed Berry, defensive tackle Leonard Johnson, defensive back Don Wilson, and linebacker Bruce Dixon. The 16-player deal is the biggest in CFL history and provides the Eskimos with the nucleus for the 1993 championship team because they went on to beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the... uh or sorry. They beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the Grey Cup in Calgary, the 1993... Sorry. The... uh yeah, wait a minute. The 93 Eskimos beat the 93 Blue Bombers, I believe, in the, uh, in the championship game at McMahon Stadium. That's how it went down. I don't think 16 players got traded at all last year combined. Yeah, you don't really see football trades. That was a big one. And then this one was a big one. Now, Matt Dunnigan's played on a lot of teams, but Dunnigan, then the BC Lions quarterback, traded to the Argonauts in exchange for D-tackle Gerald Bayless, who was a killer. Mm-hmm. Quarterback Rick Johnson, he also played for the Stamps. Linebackers Willie Pless and Tony Visco. Slotback Emmanuel Tolbert, the former rider. And safety Todd Wiseman. Dunnigan would lead the Argos to a Grey Cup title in 1991. That was the beer can game. Remember when Rocket Ismail's yeah. running down the sidelines in the frigid Winnipeg <laughs> uh, stadium there? And uh, it was against Danny Barrett and the Calgary Stampeders. I remember that one. I remember that game too. That's probably like the first Grey Cup. Was that Cup the first one you remember? remember?
6: Probably, yeah, that I remember watching. Yeah, I would say that was 91
2: with Ishmael running back that returned in Winnipeg. And this one was a big one, too. I was, uh, I had just turned 11. I remember that. Uh, just getting into my CFL fandom. Uh, Tiger Cats traded quarterback Tom Clements, who had a cup of coffee here with the Riders, to the Blue Bombers in exchange for quarterback Dieter Brock, a two time CFL outstanding player. Brock always wanted more money in Winnipeg. Uh, Clemens didn't like Saskatchewan because they didn't have an O-line that was... Like, they had the makings of a good young O-line with Poley and Aldag and Yellerbren, But they couldn't keep him up for any more than a second. So he wanted to get the hell out of here. Um, Clemens would tell me on a Where Are They Now that he didn't know about the trade until he tuned into a late-night sportscast in Hamilton that he was traded to Winnipeg. What was interesting about that is in 1984, so Dieter Brock... Would quarterback the Hamilton Tiger Cats against Tom Clements and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with my buddy Cal Murphy coaching there at a frigid Commonwealth Stadium. And Clements and the Blue Bombers would. Uh it was a close game for a bit, but then they would run away with it on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. You wouldn't remember that one, but that was uh that was an all-time trade, too. No, I I was born, but I don't <laughs> I I did not I can't recall that one. I was born, <laughs> but I can't recall it. Hey 936 nine three six sixty-two sixty-two. If you want to text in or call that number locally, 1-866-767-0620. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. We got some great guests coming up in the four o'clock hour. Les Lazaruk will join us from the Sask Blades Radio. The Blades are back off the mat. They were down three games to none. Now they're going to a Game Seven. That is outstanding. Uh, Peter Lubardius will join us after 4:30. J.C. Abbott from Three Down Nation, and of course, every Monday, Coach Craig dickinson joins us just after five. This is the Sports Cage on 6:20 CKRM.
0: 620 CKRM is proud to be the official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports talk anywhere. This is the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball.
2: And away we go, hour number two, corner of 12th and Rose in downtown Regina. I am as Al Murdoch, voice of the Vancouver Canucks inside their rink, the public address announcer and voice of Saskatchewan. Well, we are the voice of Saskatchewan, but he's the voice of us. I'm Michael Ball, as he pointed out. Blaine Weiland subbing in for Sean Kleisinger across the board from me. And uh, we're switching our attention here on the uh, show to the Western Hockey League. We know the Pat season is done, ended by the Saskatoon Blades. And I'm not going to lie, Blaine, when I uh, when I saw the Blades uh, cough up the first two at home, and then they go to Red Deer and they're down 3-0, I thought, okay, they might win one. They, they might win one. Okay, they got two, but they're going to get. That's it. She's done in six. We're going to a game seven. Yeah, especially, you know, after they dropped the first two against Regina, and they yeah. were
6: very close to dropping yeah. game three here in yeah. Regina as well.
2: Back to back series like that. I actually hate the Blades more than I hate the Warriors. That sounds bad, doesn't it? I hate the Blades more.
6: Uh, see, I grew up in blade territory all yeah. my life, so I can't say I hate the Blades, but I understand the The only the thing bribery. I like
2: about... Literally, the only thing... I'm trying to think here before I say this. Yeah, I can think I can say that. The only thing I like about the Blades... Les Lazarick, and he's joining us right now on the Western Pizza Hotline. Hi Les, you're but you're the only uh, thing I like about the I, Blades. I feel
7: honored to be the only thing you like about the Blades in yeah. Saskatoon. Yeah. Ballsy, when it comes to Regina, of course, it's probably right back at you with regards to that. Winnipeg West, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> and I know because I'm from Winnipeg, so I know what my hometown is like, and you're just a smaller version of Winnipeg, and that's not all that great.
2: Yeah, well we both we both we both less we both less <laughs> us in Winnipeg don't have an NHL team
5: <laughs> that's true oh. <laughs>
2: hey uh. You're just
7: lucky that the Oilers got what they got last Ooh. night. At least you can't whine anymore about the
5: uh, high stick. Les,
7: Les. The, that was a phantom trip in there last night that somehow allows the Oilers to score wow. a power play goal.
5: Thanks,
2: My wh- goodness. Thank God we got one because you cannot tell me, Les Lazarek, even with your thick, thick telescopic glasses like mine, <laughs> you can't tell me that wasn't a high stick. What did it hit? L.A. Fog? L.A. Smog? yeah. <laughs> that was a high stick, man. Hey, speaking of your Jets, they're in yeah. tough. They're in tough now with oh. Morrissey and Ealers uh, on the shelf.
7: Well, they've had Ealers out the entire yeah. time. Morrissey being out's a big one, and uh, it, yeah, they're really in tough. I mean, they made that huge comeback on Saturday from four-one down to tie it up, force overtime had the chances in the overtime and end up losing on a bad bounce uh, the defenseman trying to go through the middle rather than along the boards uh off the skate in front to a guy who one times it in um so now it's 5-4 victory for vegas and they're up 2-1 and they've got their home ice advantage back and really if Winnipeg don't win tonight the series is probably over in five and i hate to say it but uh, mm-hmm. that's how quickly things can turn and it's similar to junior hockey
2: balls yeah, as we Segway in. Yeah, that. look at you, you <laughs> veteran. Yeah, segueing in. I'll tell you what. Um, it's it's unbelievable to me from the outside that we're in a game seven. Like I said before, we brought you on here. Okay, you know what. Uh I you know the the blades were tired. It was a it was a taxing series both mentally and physically with the Pats, with all the pomp and pageantry that surrounded it. So I thought, okay, maybe they'll lose one on home ice. Then they lost two and I'm like, okay, they could be done. Then it's three and I'm like, okay, for sure they're done. Maybe it'll be a gentleman's sweep in five games. From your vantage point, the veteran you are, how shocked are you this is going to a game seven?
7: Yeah, quite a bit actually, because when they fell behind three nothing and then not only that, but in game four, it's two nothing after one period of play, and you're kind of going, "Okay, how is this going to turn around? What's going to happen?" Mm-hmm. And all that really happened was that it's the belief within the group of themselves.
2: But what happened? But what did it all season long? What was in, it? Was themselves. it a, Was it a play? Was it a was it a key no. thing?
7: No, just just we think that we can, and I'm using the royal we yeah. in terms of how the group feels, but. They just felt that they could, with they if they played the way they are capable, they could sum it up because they felt they were capable of doing it, and they've never uh, wavered in that belief and that confidence. And sure enough, they got a break. They score a goal. They start coming in the third period. And then I'll tell you what, the three goals on three consecutive shots scored in game four for the 4-2 victory wasn't very good goaltending from Kyle Kelsey Yeah. Red Deer. yeah, And that was something that... He had been so good. The first three games, the, you know, Red Deer outscored the Blades 13-4. to Since then, the goals have been 15-8 to in favor of Saskatoon. And while it wasn't the Blades' goaltending that was a problem in the first three games, Red Deer's goaltending has become a problem in the last three games. And whoever's going to start Game 7, whether it's going back to Kyle Kelsey or Chase Coward, who came on in relief of Game 5 and played Game 6, but one of those two guys is going to have to really step up and be better than what they've been in games four, five, and six, or else it's going to be tough for Red Deer to avoid being swept in the, in the so-called reverse sweep here in game seven yeah. tomorrow night. That doesn't mean the Blades have got this in the bag by any stretch of the imagination. Nope. Blades won game six yesterday in Red Deer. Despite being outshot 38-23, to 23, they were just so much more opportunistic than what the Red Deer Rebels were, uh, and and you got to have that. You you got to have your best players come through at the biggest times. And Igor Sidorov in the last two games has four goals and six points.
2: That was a beautiful one-handed wraparound. I, I had to look that at it. something. I had to look at it two or three times. I mean, I thought the goalie maybe could have uh, made a better effort on that, but that was a great play by him. Well, I think the goalie's going. There's no way he's going to be able to raise it with one
7: hand, and he does. Yeah, that's a oh. crazy thing. That goes more than halfway up into the net yeah. from one hand. Yeah, it was great. And the other thing that was impressive, and I, I hope NHL scouts are taking notice of this guy, is that he's able to ward off a much bigger guy in Ben King with one arm, with one hand on the stick, and score the goal like that. Yeah, like that's an NHL play and he deserves to be ranked higher than what he
2: is by central scouting. Other than uh, Igor Sidorov, who uh, caught fire in Game 3 of the Pats series and then uh, has carried it over, who else has been a catalyst for this team? Wong's really on a nice roll here.
7: Yeah, Trevor Wong has uh, got five goals and 19 points in the series, and he was pointless in the first two games against Regina. Uh, Jake Chason had another game winner yesterday uh, against red deer. So that's three game winning goals for him in the playoffs. Uh, Tanner Molendijk, uh, another, you know, high ranked person by central scout, yeah. 28 in the final rankings, scored two goals in uh game five. And I mean, that's, that's huge for him to be able to come out and have a little bit of a coming out party offensively in the playoffs to get noticed by scouts. So, uh, Aiden Delariviere continues to quarterback a power play that is running at about forty percent. So uh, those are the types of people. Brandon Lazowski's been big. Uh, they've 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 they spread it around. That's the beauty of the Blades is that they've got that depth, and I think it's starting to show again here in this series against Red Deer.
2: Yeah, for sure. Les Lazarek, voice of the Blades, joining us here for a couple more minutes. Do you uh, do you favor the ice to close it out tonight in Moose Jaw? You know, I, I don't know. That's hard to say. I mean, they certainly believe they're going to
7: do that. I had a chance to speak with our buddy Brian Munns, uh, who's mm-hmm. the voice of the of the ice, and uh, uh, he was confident that they would go into Moose Jaw and win tonight. I'm not so certain. Uh, I mean, the Warriors, they finished the regular season 9-8 and eight in the final 17 games. And, of course, everybody remembers that they had four players uh, suspended for the final 17 games included in that group their number one goaltender, a 20-year-old who was having an all-star season, and a 19-year-old signed uh, NHL defenseman, and they loved, they were without those guys, and they struggled. They stumbled a little bit down the stretch. Now that they have them back, they're difficult. They're difficult, though. They've got a good, solid defense core. They've got good goaltending, and they've got some snipers up front with Jagger, Fertus, Braden Yeager. Uh, Atley Calvert, I mean, that, that's a good team, Moose Jaw. I don't think they're done quite yet. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Game 7 Wednesday back in Winnipeg.
2: You are all-knowing when it comes to the Western Hockey League, so when's the last time a team's come back from 3 nothing down the way the Blades have done?
7: It's only happened two previous times, Ballsy. It was in 1996, Spokane came back from 3 nothing down and ended up beating Portland 4-3 in an opening round series. And then in 2013... The Kelowna Rockets came back from three nothing down and knocked out the Seattle Thunderbirds in seven games. So it's happened in the Western Conference. It's never happened out on the prairies.
2: How are you feeling? You think it's going to happen?
7: I like to believe it's going to happen. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, I just again sense that this group believes so much in each other that they get on this role. They seem to have figured it out. I, mean, Dan DeSilva, the assistant coach, said to me yesterday in my pregame chat with him for radio that. And then here's something again that the Pats fans can uh, maybe take some consolation in is that after that first round, you're changing styles drastically. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Pats are going to play more of a game, similar fast game, like the, like the blades will with, and with all the star power that they have, you're coming up against the lunch bucket crew in red deer who play a big, heavy physical, but can also skate with you and also put the puck in the net. But that physicality, they've, finish every one of their checks even though you knew that was coming you had to get ready and you had to get used to it and it took them a little bit maybe almost too long to get used to it but they caught it in time and now seem to be okay with it and suddenly the rebels are starting to get a little bit unglued the stuff that was happening at the end of yesterday's game uh game six uh they're going to lose jet larson who had a double game misconduct for instigating a fight in the final minute i mean you don't do that. Yeah, that, that's, you're just asking to get kicked out of the uh, out of the series, basically.
2: Hey, I've got about a minute less, uh, a minute left less. So. Uh, you mentioned you, and I don't have a problem referring to us or we, uh, because um, you're the voice of the team, just like I am with the Rough Riders. So you're kind of in, intertwined with these guys. Do You feel kind of like a uh, a proud older uncle or grandpa on the bus with these guys, man. Like I don't, I'm not trying to say you're old, but you know what I mean. Like, do you feel like do you feel like a sense of pride with these kids? Absolutely. Absolutely.
7: And grandpa's fine. I mean, I'm 64. These kids are between 16 and 20. Yeah. Uh, I am so far out of touch with what they do, what they now know, with the technology of today. And yet, God bless them. They, they tend to respect and actually uh, want to listen to you and, and talk to you from time to time. So it, it's a great experience to be able to be around the kids like this and have some fun during the
2: postseason. The high priest of hockey calling here <laughs> in uh, junior hockey in the Western Hockey League, Les Lazarek. Uh, I like Saskatoon, Les. Uh,
3: I know you do, Ballsy. I like. I didn't say it I like, like you I, I
2: didn't say I didn't like Saskatoon. I just can't like the Blades. I, I gotta I gotta amend it though. I like Les Lazarek and I like. The fact you went back to those unis. Those are sweet unis. I like the oh, unis yeah. again. I like the unis. Good luck. Yep. Good luck in game
7: seven, buddy. Bless you, ballsy from the high priest, and uh, <laughs> we'll talk to you soon.
2: Lama, <laughs> Take care. We'll be back with more of the sports cage in a moment on 620 CKRM.
0: Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the sports cage on the mighty 620 CKRM. As always, our
2: clutch performers brought to you by Nick Service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Call 781-1077. Our clutch performer, while well, there's two, Jack Campbell, who was signed by the Oilers in the offseason for five million bucks a year, but's been a backup most of this campaign, comes off the bench to start the second period after the Oilers were down three nothing in LA. Campbell stopped 27 of 28 shots, including this unbelievable save on Arvidsson, who had a breakaway, to save the Oilers' season. And Yamamoto out there together with Newsy Hawkins, a chance, Arvidsson's in,
7: Campbell with a fabulous save as he used his left pad
2: to stop that puck. For the third time in the series, the teams went to overtime, and Zach Hyman finally showed up. In overtime. Deadlocked at four. Edmonton has never led. Hyman left wing for the win!
1: He shoots and
7: scores!
6: Zach Hyman! This game is over! This series is tied! 5-4! Edmonton in overtime!
2: Thanks to 6.30 Chad and Edmonton and Rogers Sportsnet for the audio. A massive 5-4 win for the Oilers. And they head back to Edmonton, deadlocked at two apiece for game number five tomorrow night. All right, yeah, that's a great call by Jack Michaels on Sportsnet. By the way, it's 30 years ago today, Blaine Wyland, that we... Can you put my audio up here on this computer? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to pull the audio up on this computer? No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> remember, remember, remember. What was the guy? What's the guy's? Up? What's the Buffalo say? Uh, you know, Rick, Rick Jennerette. Jennerette. Rick Jennerette. Mayday, Mayday. The mm-hmm. Buffalo goal by uh, Brad May against the Boston Bruins thirty years ago comes in, and uh, yeah, the Mayday goal, and then just absolutely celebrates skates away from all his teammates. <laughs> yeah, a classic of the old odd Mayday, Mayday. All right, so let's get to this. Aaron Rodgers has been traded by the Green Bay Packers. Finally, to the New York Jets, and I'll tell you what is it Brian uh, Gutekis? He's the the GM of the Packers. He did a great job, man. Check this out. So the Packers get a first round pick swap in twenty twenty three. They get the higher pick from the Jets. Mm-hmm. They get a high second round pick in twenty twenty three. Uh, a likely first round pick in twenty twenty four. At worst, a, a high second. Uh, if he plays sixty five percent of the snaps, which he will. A $60 million financial obligation is off their books, all for a guy who was never coming back anyway. Let's be honest. He was either retiring or getting traded. Yeah, he wasn't coming back. I agree. That. I agree that they got some good compensation, but they got to turn those draft picks into some su- into yeah. su- substance. Well, you're right. Draft picks are like games in hand. Who cares if your team has five games in hand if they lose them all, right? Yeah. So you're right about that. But given the landscape, and now it'll be interesting to see what Jordan Love can do. Packers could be the Packers of the early 80s when they suck. Remember the Lynn Dickey era? You probably <laughs> wouldn't, but there were, before Favre got there, before the Magic Man, yeah. they were terrible for years. That division is really
6: interesting uh going into this season. I mean now teams people are talking as like the lions and the bears are kind of the the favorites almost in that yeah. division i mean it it's upside down almost the, going into the next season yeah
2: okay so let 's go here let 's talk here for a second. I want to um I want to give you a little quiz here, okay? These are the quarterbacks that have thrown 50 or more touchdowns at the age of 35 or older, Blaine. Let's see if you can get some of these, okay? This guy played, had 349 touchdowns, played for New England and Tampa. Tom Brady? Yeah, okay. This guy played for New Orleans Saints. He did it in 2020. Drew Brees. Yep. This guy played for the Packers, Jets, and Vikings. He Brett Favre. Yeah, okay, that's good. <laughs> this guy just got traded by the Packers. Aaron Rodgers. 162, yeah. This guy... Uh, played for Houston, Minnesota, Seattle, and Kansas City. 157 touchdown passes. He also played in the CFL. More Moon. There you go. This guy, uh, 140 touchdown passes. Played for Indy and Denver. 2015's the last time he played. Peyton Manning. There you go. So once again, you're doing very well. These are the quarterbacks with 50 or more touchdowns at age 35 or older in a season. Okay. Uh, this guy played for Pittsburgh. Ended in 2021. Ben Roethlisberger. There you go. Uh, this guy played for the Denver Broncos. Ended in 1998. John Elway. This guy played for the Jets, Cowboys, Patriots, and Carolina. Ended in 2007. Jets, Dallas, New England, Carolina. Ended in 2007. Jets,
6: Dallas, Carolina. mm
2: Vinny Testaverde. Uh, Vinny. We'll give you one more. Carolina, that's what uh, through me I'll give of I'll give you one more. Okay. Oakland, 2004. He was an MVP that year. Rich Gannon. There you go. There's a bunch of other ones. Uh, I'll post it later, but there you go. Good job, Blaine. When we come back, Peter Lubardius will join us. It's the Sports Cage on 620
0: CKRM. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage, Michael Ball along with my
2: operator slash sports guy, Blaine Wyland, And it's time to keep the show rolling. Let's head out in the Western Pizza Hotline and talk with J.C. Abbott from 3 Down Nation. How are you today, J.C.? I'm great, Ballsy. How are you? Well, good. Uh, starting to feel like training camp's coming. We've had snow here, but it's finally leaving the ground. I know you're out in uh, the B.C. area, so it's probably uh, very nice out there. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I always. this is always my favorite time of year in terms of getting ready for the season.
8: That's uh, my favorite time of year, too, Ballsy. The draft is coming up next week, and I could not be more excited.
2: So in terms of the draft, and I'm glad, let's start there. Which position is probably the healthiest in terms of uh, you know uh, teams looking at those positions? Running back, receiver, lineman?
8: Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk early on in this process that the defensive line group was the strongest group now there's a lot of talent there but i think it's more mid-range talent in my opinion the one that's really jumped out to me in my process evaluating it has been the defensive back there's some real studs in that defensive backfield and you know there's some hybrid players in there as well a guy like a jonathan who maybe plays linebacker at the cfl level but you're going to get players in the second, in the third round, who I think could legitimately start for you in that defensive back group. Some some really talented guys, and even guys like Charlie Ringland from the University of Mm -hmm. Saskatchewan, who's probably going to fall in this process because he tore his ACL at the CFL Combine, unfortunately. So he'll be a Lager futures pick for a team who I think is an outstanding athlete and and a really talented player who will be able to impact the CFL team once he's healthy again.
2: Yeah, you wonder uh, if that'll scare a lot of teams off, though.
8: It'll certainly make him fall in the process, but again, this is is not unheard of that players aren't going to be available for you in the first year. This is the CFL draft. Guys go back to school of their own volition all the time, so nowadays an acl injury isn't the end of the world guys tend to recover from that pretty well and, and you have to sort of look at it as if he's just going back to school so yeah he'll fall probably a couple rounds but he will get drafted
2: are you shocked there were so many players that deferred it seemed like the football community the the, the personnel guys were
8: i was absolutely flabbergasted when i received the the list of names of of players who deferred this year uh Guys who I thought were sure-fire first-round picks, guys who I thought had a chance to go first overall in the right circumstances. Now, everybody's got their own reasons. I'm sure some of these guys just didn't want the hassle, wanted to go back to school and, and finish their degrees. That's fine. But it has hurt this draft class, and you'll hear people talk about it not being a particularly strong year for the draft that's somewhat false because there's some incredible NFL talent that just won't be available to CFL teams. But it's also not true because a lot of the talent that would have been in this year's draft has chosen to go into next year. So you're going to see a loaded draft class in 2024 full of guys who would have been first round, second round, third round picks this year, we're gonna be
2: in that same situation next year. Here, uh, J C Abbott from Free Down Nation joining us here does great work over there. Uh but here's a bigger problem. Uh you know, yeah uh, just think about some of the guys that uh you know, Nick Summit comes to mind or Matlin Riley or Mason Nias or uh, you know, there's a there's a bunch of them that just have decided that they're gonna go do something else. So I wasn't as shocked. Like, you know what? It's not like they're turning down big, big and no disrespect to the CFL. I love the CFL. But what I'm saying is it's not like you're turning down a sure shot in the NFL in millions of life changing dollars. That's that's
8: absolutely fair, Baldi. And there are some players who I thought uh, would have been very good players in the CFL who have chosen not just to defer, but, but to retire entirely. Uh, the guy who comes to mind for me is Elliot Beamer, the fantastic center at the University of Western who I think moves just like a knife through butter. He's, he's an absolutely incredible blocker, but he chose that, that football-looking was path for him. He's going to step away from the game and move on to other things and, and more power to him. Uh, but the thing that surprised me about deferrals is This isn't like the NFL, where if you declare for the draft, you're not allowed to go back to school. You have burned your eligibility. You can't do that Mm -hmm. on scholarship and play for your college team. You can still play out your fifth fifth year, even after attending a CFL training camp, even after being on the practice roster for a period of time during the season. So there's no real reason in my mind why it would benefit a player to defer from the draft entirely, particularly... If they're already a guy who's getting top of the draft, Bob.
2: very good point, man, and it hits home for me. Like I I, 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 talk about my son a lot, not just not because I'm proud of, not just because I'm proud of him, but because it, like I'm a parent going through this, not just a, a an announcer. And I will tell you, like he's got two years left until he gets drafted. He can play three but he's got to be sure maybe that he's going to get drafted because he'll be done his first degree coming up here right away, and then he's got to decide because if you decide don't get drafted, you can't go back and play at UND. You're done.
8: Yeah, exactly. It's a tough situation for those American guys, and you know, you're seeing people, at least on the NFL side, lean more on the side of caution in, in this season particularly because NIL makes it more of a, a financial um it makes it lucrative for some guys to stay in college, and maybe they they don't have that risk. Yeah declaring for the NFL draft early and going undrafted.
2: JC, the CFL and Football Canada have teamed up to help remedy what they're calling a significant challenge surrounding officiating capacity in the Canadian Football League. It comes from your uh, website here. It's Darren Hackwood, uh, Vice President of Officiating. will co-chair a new officiating task force with Jim Mullen. I've always wondered that. Why can't we got to get more maybe even more former players into this league ref- refereeing. You know, the referees in this league, I, I'm not saying I'm a I'm, I'm blameless here. I've jumped on them, too. But the more I watch other sports leagues, the CFL, you know, uh, you know, relative to how much money's invested in it, those refs do a pretty good job.
8: They really do. And, and you have to think of wrestling at any level of sport is incredibly difficult. And, and I've done it a little bit at the amateur level, not in football, but in some other sports. And it's certainly not something I enjoy doing. And, and because of that, as a coach and as a player, I have tremendous respect for what referees do. We really as a community need to to have more initiatives like this because the quality of refereeing right from the grassroots level up to the CFL, it, it needs to not be improved, but there needs to be more bodies there, more competent individuals, more people getting invested in that area of the game. And and you're seeing some success. There's there's been some internships and things like that. I know I, I had the pleasure of being refereed By uh, the great Lions fullback, Rolly Lombala, the last couple years in high school football here. I know he had an internship and did some CSL preseason games. And I think that's absolutely fantastic to get more guys like that involved in
2: officiating. Dave Donaldson used to do it too, former uh, Blue Bomber, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, uh, you guys put out a list of the top paid defensive backs. Anything surprising you there? Tunde Adelike is the uh, top, uh, according to your numbers, the top paid defensive back going into this season. Anything jump out at you there? Well,
8: the thing that jumps
2: out to me, Ballsy, is
8: the guy who's not on this list and that's Dietrich Nichols, the the halfback from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who I think is the best defensive back in the league. He might be the best defensive player in the league. I thought he's been absolutely dominant the last couple of seasons for the Bombers, and he misses the cut. He's not in the top 20. Now, with some incentives, he can sneak into the back half in terms of his maximum value of his contract, but even then, he's not making nearly as much money as some of these other guys. And, and that's an absolute
2: steal for winnipeg how about this one i think this is a steal for the riders because i think this guy's underrated roland milligan he's got a hard money at one hundred and hundred and seventeen five, uh 125 5 according to you guys uh on your article at three down nation with bonuses and everything like that this guy not only a great defender but special teams as well i really like him i think he's underrated at 12
8: yeah i mean I was very impressed with him last year and, and what he can do, racks up tackles like nobody's business. Can impact on special teams. That's why you see, you know, not a lot of these top end defensive guys get bonuses for special teams performance. Roland Milligan has a $1,000 bonus if he leads his team in special teams tackles, which is not out of the realm of possibility for him.
2: JC, always awesome to talk to you. We'll catch up with you again. We're going to have the draft night here. Maybe we want you to be a part of it too if you have a few minutes to come on that night, May the 2nd, as it's the uh, CFL draft coverage here on the radio. First time it's been done, pillar to post, right here on 620 CKRM. Thanks for your time, JC. Thanks for having me on, Ballsy. J.C. Abbott, Three Down Nation, joining us. Coming up on the other side of 5 o'clock, and Andrew Dawson with the news. We'll hear from the coach, Craig Dickinson. This is the Sports Cage on 620
0: CKRM. This is the Craig Dickinson Show, our weekly chat with the Riders Bench Boss about the latest news from the locker room. It's the only place where Dickie takes questions from Rider Nation.
2: Uh, Yes, and we're going to tell you that it's brought to you by our good friends over there at McDougal Auctioneers. So um, when you're uh, ready to uh, buy or sell something, make sure you check out McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for all your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, McDougalActions.com. Coach Craig Dickinson joining us. Uh, Coach, 25 years ago this week, it was the NFL Draft. Peyton Manning would go one. Ryan Leaf would go two. uh, Four would go Charles Woodson. Twenty-one would go. Randy Moss and Alan Fanica, offensive lineman for Pittsburgh, would go twenty-sixth. Four of the five names I mentioned there uh, are Hall of Famers. Ryan Leaf, I guess, was a Hall of Fame bust. I guess it's good he's turning his life around now. Did you you coached in uh, San Diego when he was there? Was it just was it because he had a rocket arm and everything like that? Was it a case maybe of a little bit of immaturity for him? Well, here's here's the thing. I
1: actually know Ryan Leaf. He grew up about six six streets north of me in Great Falls, Montana. So, I've I've known Ryan since he was really a young kid. Came out of the same high school as I did, and, and grew up same town. And I think it was a combination of a lot of things. Um, super talented guy. I think he he worked hard, and he had he had everything everything I think you need to make it. But just a combination of being one on a team that wasn't very good and having really a lot of expectations thrown on him early on, and it just didn't work out for him. But uh, I'm su- super proud of the guy. He's really, I think, uh, found his calling in terms of uh, being a, a broadcaster and also really reaching out to young men and motivating them and trying to trying to guide people and, and really uh, share his story. So really, I think it's, it's, um, it's sad it didn't work out for him. As well as we'd have liked as a player, but I think he's doing doing a lot of good work right now uh, in his in his older
2: years. Goes to show you uh, the CFL or the draft in general. Any draft could be a crapshoot, right? Like you, you, this is a surefire guy, and and then and then he falls. Maybe not to the extent of a Ryan Leaf every year, and then guys you think might just be coming for a camp body, or we'll take that guy. Actually, uh, do something and do something impactful, like a. We we brought him up before in the past, a Jaden Dolkey. So it is it is kind of a crapshoot these drafts.
1: Yeah, it is. You know, you do the best you can, and we try to try to make it as as precise as we can make it. But the reality is, a lot of it comes down to uh, the work the player is able to put in and willing to put in once he does get into your into your building, And, and then a little bit of luck. You know, if he's in a place where he gets an opportunity to play and he plays well early all of a sudden his confidence grows and he, and he turns into a pretty good player if, if he's at a place where maybe he doesn't get a chance to play early or he's thrown out there early, maybe sooner than he should be and he loses confidence and his, his career can go a different way. So you're right. The draft is, uh, is a crap shoot in a lot of ways, but we do put a lot of work into it and we try to make sure we do as good a job as we can.
2: Best position or best player? What do you guys do? What's your mentality going into this draft?
1: Well, we are always best player, but at the same time, we have to be realistic in what we're doing. You know, we dress five on offense, and we dress two Canadians on defense. So we want to try to find the best player but the best player that also fits what we're trying to do ratio-wise.
2: Mm-hmm. And so what would be the best? Uh, I know uh, you're the guy that coaches them up, but you've said in the past that Jeremy, Kyle Carson, they let you uh, very much be in the in the mix here when it comes to picking the ingredients. Uh, from, from your knowledge of it, what would you say is the best positional group from what you saw at the Combine and going into this draft?
1: I think the defensive line's a pretty solid group. Uh, and I also think the defensive backs are a good group. Those would be my two position groups that I think have the most depth and maybe the the the, uh, the best quality players, specifically at the front end.
2: All right. So, uh, Coach, uh, what's it look like for you right now uh, You know, as we go to the draft and getting ready for training camp? What, what does it look like for you, the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders?
8: Yeah, lots of draft
1: work, Michael. Lots of draft work. We've had meetings pretty much. Uh, three three to four days a week for the past uh, month, talking about position groups. We're going to sit down uh, starting on Wednesday and have what we call mock drafts, where we'll have six or seven guys on the call, and we'll each be involved on a team, and we'll pick pick the draft the way we see it going. You know, it's a, it's a fun way to to do a little exercise and, and to see if the guys that you like might be there when you when you think they will be sometimes you'll do a mock draft and you may have a guy earmarked as a second round grade and he's gone in the first round or uh, or he sticks around till the fourth so that that'll be what we're doing this week uh that is a lot of fun by the way once your <laughs> grades are all in you get a chance to to kind of uh play GM for other teams and try to anticipate what they're going to do and then and then the other thing I'm doing a lot of this week is just getting schedules Finalized, making sure we got our practices organized and ready to go for camp because camp's right around the corner.
2: Now, I know the NFL and the CFL, two different entities, money and everything, when it comes to the hype of the uh, draft, although I think we could do a better job. I think we could, I picture one day, I'd love to see it where uh, you have everybody, like, say, at the casino Regina and the first couple of rounds are live on TSN or something like that, where we can really ham it up. But I wanted to ask you in the war room, is it a lot like uh, you see on the movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner?
1: i i think it is you know i gotta i'm, I'm
2: gonna have to guess a little bit you never my, watched I've
1: it i actually seen that movie
2: what do you do, know, you do? what it. the hell do you do you you don't have to fight with anybody for the remote control or nothing and you don't I watch know. anything <laughs> hey i don't watch those i don't watch tv you know how
1: i am i know but, it's crazy uh, i don't think it's quite as dramatic as in that movie draft day but there's a lot of moving and shaking going on and uh and you'll get you'll get calls for teams that are interested in maybe moving up, uh, but in the CFL, there's not a lot of trades that happen. I, I wish there'd be more. To be quite honest, uh, yeah. I think it'd be a lot more exciting. But most of the time, teams just pick where they're at and uh, and see who's available. But you never know. There's always there's always uh, the occasional trade, and maybe this year will be one of those years where our phone's ringing. Yeah, uh,
2: we'll see, Coach. Um- I'm not going to sit here and say I haven't been critical of the officials. That would be an outright lie. But the more I watch other leagues, NBA, NFL, and NHL, for, for the money that is invested into our officials... Uh, you know, relative to those other leagues. I think our officials do a great job, and they've actually just uh, uh, looked into getting into uh, now a, a situation where they're going to, um, well, the CFL's invested money in amateur football, but uh, the, the, they're looking now, Canada, Football Canada and the CFL teamed up to help remedy what they're calling a shortage of officials. I, I, you know, that's something we, we overlook sometimes. We need officials to play these games. I think our officials, by and large, do a pretty solid job.
1: I would agree with you a hundred percent. I think, um, that's one of the, you know, one of the, the favorite pastimes of of all of us is to criticize officials. But if you look at the job that our officials do and and they're led by Darren Hackwood, who does, I think an outstanding job at the league office level, the officials have been very good in the last few years. And I think, uh, they take accountability. You know, if they screw up a call, they're pretty good about reaching out and telling you they messed up a call. And, um, You know, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, that's the one thing I learned when I was in the NFL. The officiating was not much different than it was in the CFL, and they're getting paid a lot more to do it. So what I came away with from that is officiating must be a lot harder than people realize, and I think that's the truth. It's it's a difficult profession, and I think our guys are doing a pretty good job at it.
2: Coach, what are you looking for in rookie camp? Like, what's your mindset going into that little little, uh, stint before actual camp?
1: That's a fun time because give it, it gives you a chance to just install your base, your base systems on OD and special teams. And then, really, we're just looking to see if there's some guys that stand out. You know, one group that I'm really interested in is the offensive line. There's uh, some tackles. We signed some American tackles we're excited to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a chance to get your eyes on them. You don't get a chance to see a lot of one-on-ones because your numbers are down. But it gives you a chance to see. Some of these uh, these new faces that you've been that you've been hearing about reading about for a long time, and now you finally get to see them in the in the flesh.
2: Hey, uh, Coach Craig Dickinson, joining us here from McDougall Auctioneers for a couple more minutes. Here is there a is there a player or players that you guys uh, besides like, Trevor Harris is obvious, but is there any other player or players that you're interested in seeing here with your own eyes in camp to say, okay, yeah, that's what we that's what we paid for right there. That's what we added.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking to see, and and, and it's true with Trevor, I'm looking to see the relationship with the quarterback and the receivers. So whether it be Trevor Harris, I'm looking to see Shea Patterson, a quarterback we signed as well. We think he's going to be pretty good. Uh, Mr. Lewis, uh, who was a backup last year, we signed him late. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also a quarterback I'd like to see. And then just how the receivers mesh with that group, the Jake Winnick, the Darrell Walkers, I'm interested to see how Sean Bain fits into that group mm-hmm. um It'd just be nice to see what sort of chemistry the the quarterbacks and the receivers have in camp and then the other group, like i said i'm I'm really excited to see our offensive line I, that's something we knew we know uh we need to be better at and it's it's something we put a lot of, of emphasis on in the off season so I'm interested <laughs> to see what that offensive line looks like
2: how close are you going to be watching a guy like Nick Lewis who uh he, hey he's still athletic he took back another pick six last year but hey he's he's getting up there in age 2 in terms of a football player you know you know but he is, you need leaders you need leadership on that back end all the same too
1: yeah, you threw me off there. You, he uh, you meant Nick Marshall. I'm not I'm not, not, not
2: Nick Lewis. Nick Marshall. Nick sorry. Lewis. He's yeah,
1: coaching over in Kansas. Yeah, not Nick Nick, Nick
2: Lewis would be a mall walker now in the secondary. <laughs> he wouldn't be covering anybody. Yeah,
1: I'm reading. I'm reading what you're putting down, Bob. Uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what Nick looks like. I mean, he's he's a guy. If, if he trains hard, which I think he is, he's going to come in and he's going to look good. I mean, he's. He may not be a rookie, but he's not old either. He's in his, his early 30s, and he's still got a lot, I think, a lot of juice left in him. So I'm hoping Nick is ready to roll. I'm excited to see him and, and to see him uh, take even more of a leadership role in the back end.
2: And lastly, I guess, so what what do you want to see from your punter this year, whether it be Vedvik or whoever else comes in there if you're bringing somebody in to challenge him? What do you need to see from, uh, from uh, that area? I thought at times it was good, but other times a little inconsistent.
1: Yeah, well, you just said the word consistency. So, uh, I'm excited to see Corey. I know he's been working hard this offseason, uh, training. He stayed in Regina as opposed to going back, back to the states or back to Europe. So, I'm, I'm interested in seeing him uh, be a little more consistent, and and I'd like to see improved accuracy. He he's got a, a very strong leg. He's a heck of an athlete. He's very coachable, and uh, I'd like just to see some growth from. From year one to year two, so that he's hitting the ball more consistently and putting the ball... Outside the numbers, where
2: we want it. All right, coach.
1: And I think he's more than capable of doing
2: that. Yeah, coach. Good luck with the draft preparations. We'll talk again. Thanks for your time and thanks for thanks for, my man. Thanks we'll for smart play. thanks for smarting me up, Nick Marshall, not Nick Lewis, <laughs> for sure. Thanks, appreciate it. That's uh, coach Craig Dickinson, McDougall Auctioneers. I had Nick Lewis on the other day, so that's why I kind of got a brain cram. Nick Lewis, the coach, not Nick Marshall, the DB. When we come back, we'll get to more of the sports cage in a moment on six twenty CKRM.
0: We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the sports cage here at the corner twelfth and Rose. Ahead of our five thirty news,
2: and the other side of five thirty, we'll talk with our friend Glenn Suter from TSN. Uh, Major League Baseball: Blue Jays are scoreless with the Chicago White Sox coming off a weekend set where they took two of three in the Bronx, uh, including what was it last night? It was five, five, five to one. Um, uh, Vladdy and Varsha went back to back. And uh, seven scoreless innings from, uh, what's his name, Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman, yeah. Yep. 11, 11 strikeouts. That was a good uh, good omen there. They're playing the White Sox, who we always expect them to be better than they are, so uh, should be uh, interesting. <laughs> Don't seriously. have the Tony La Russa excuse anymore. Yeah, that's right. Where he falls asleep in the <laughs> yeah. dugout. Uh, NHL, Jack Hughes, Blaine tells me, breakaway goal in the New Jersey Devils have a one nothing lead. 12-34 to go in the opening period uh, in New York against the Rangers. Devils gave up the first two on home ice. Won the next won an overtime in uh, Madison Square Garden, so they're trying to even that series at two apiece. Toronto's at Tampa, 2-1 Toronto leads that series. Vegas at Winnipeg. The uh, Jets uh, trail two games to one in Colorado at Seattle. So that'll be interesting. And Aaron Rodgers has retired from the NFL to play with the New York Jets. <laughs>
6: April 1st is a couple weeks ago.
2: Yeah, yeah, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. He's playing for the Jets. He might as well be retired. He's done. Hey, uh, Here's one for you. Lamar Jackson Traded or no? Does he stay with the Ravens or does he get traded here?
6: I think he's staying. I think uh, there's no one to trade for him, really. What a dummy. He should have had an agent. He cost himself
2: lots of money.
6: Yeah. And I think that the Sean Watson deal really threw things out of whack with that guaranteed money and... I think that kind of part played part into it, but yeah, the agent, the lack of agency.
2: Yeah, but the Ravens, of, like I said before, they don't need, listen, the Ravens won Super Bowls in, when Brady and Manning were in their peak. The Ravens still won two Super Bowls then, and they won it with Joe Flacco and Trent Dilfer. So they don't need, they're like, we don't really need, like, we can win without guys like that. They also had. One of the greatest
6: defenses ever when Dilfer won. And yeah. then even when Flacco won, they had some really good defenses as well. Their defense is still good, but I don't think it's as good no, as they it's were. It's true.
2: It's true. But do you think do you think Lam- would you pay that all that money to Lamar Jackson? Would you? I wouldn't. I don't think he's that elite. I think he's a great athlete that's a good quarterback and he gets hurt a lot.
6: What's your better option then? If you're not gonna if you're not gonna take Lamar Jackson, you're Baltimore, then what's your best option then? Huntley? No. Huh? They, I don't know. Can't we find somebody? I'd like to see Lamar Jackson with like a wide receiver and like an offense. That's has got
2: Odell Beckham Jr. now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, How about your guy? How about your guy? Played my son's uh, division of FCS, the Mm. Missouri Valley Conference, which was the best, or is the best conference Mm. in the FCS. Trey Lance, but he didn't have a lot of tape. They traded a lot for him. Was it an ankle injury? Yeah. And he's recovering. Now, the GM, John Lynch, the former Packer or uh, Buccaneer safety, said that uh, he is going to be, he expects him to be a 49er. That doesn't mean he will be. What do you think?
6: I think he'll be in oh, I think he'll be a 49er Come training camp I think that it's going to be interesting To see how the The camp battle ensues uh, Over the next couple of minutes Between him and Darnold And who actually gets more snaps And kind of gets the number one job Before Purdy comes back I don't think Purdy's back Before week one I think he's back week four I think they're really Really rushing things To get him back week one
2: Can we just get rid of Josh
6: Johnson <laughs> I I think he'll eventually go away from
2: the How league. How the hell has he lasted? Who is that dude? Oh, help me out. Help me out. Oh, Flynn. Matt Flynn? Was With it Se- Matt Flynn? Seattle? Yeah, and Green Bay. Yeah. He made like 45 million and was terrible. Like he didn't even They traded for him and then they drafted Russell, Russell Wilson and then they just used Russell. Even Wilson. who is the guy that was uh, I was going to say Charlie Daniel, but that's a Charlie Daniels band. Chase Daniel. Quarterback yeah. for the Chargers and Chiefs who like I think he had like 18 attempts in NFL history and he made like 40-some million dollars. I think his rights were owned by the Ruffers at one point. Chase Daniel, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. You're right. Because he went to Missouri, right? He was a Missouri quarterback. Yeah. Anyway, very interesting. Uh, The draft coming up on Thursday, and I'm not as excited. Like, I do like watching the NFL draft, but not as excited this year. Don't you think the CFL should do something? Ham it up? Like, even if you're not a fan, you grab a bunch of people, you give them six beer tickets each. You give them a Tiger Cat jersey and, and, and jersey the place up and turn it into an event for TV.
6: Yeah, it it does seem like an, an obvious no brainer. Even though, I think uh, the big thing is they gotta you know get people uh, more knowledge about the prospects coming in and get people excited. That's a big thing that the NFL drafts got over on any draft is that the NCAA players are already superstars when they're getting drafted.
2: Yeah, no, it's a good point, and that's why we're doing something here on the Sports Cage. We're doing our own CFL Draft Night, brought to you by CAA and our buddy Terry K- Kazis over there. All right, so uh, make sure you tune into that May the second when we come back. This guy will be a part of our draft night. Glenn Suter, he will join us that night, and he will join us next. It's the Sports Cage on this Monday on six twenty CKRM. Time now for your sports ticker, and it's brought to you by Busy Bee. They'll repair or replace your residential or commercial garage door so you don't get stuck in or out. Catch the buzz. Busy B Doors, the garage door specialists. NHL, the New Jersey Devils at last word, had a 1-0 uh, lead on the New York Rangers. Breakaway goal by Jack Hughes, 6.53 to go in the first period. Toronto Blue Jays are taking on the Chicago White Sox in the second. At last word, it was scoreless. Jays continue to look up at the uh, Rays coming into this uh game tonight. The Rays had won 13 straight on home turf. They continue to lead the American League East. Toronto playing well, but still third in the chase for the American League East. But I mean, come on, Chase. We still got 140 games left crazy along the baseball season is. And Aaron Rodgers has been traded. Might as well have retired. He's going to New York to play for the J-E-T-S Jets, 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 which usually stands for just end the season. The NFL Draft is on Thursday, and that's your sports ticker.
0: Let's round the bases. Time for today's sports cage, Regina Red Sox reports on the voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM.
2: This Regina Red Sox report brought to you by the Canadian Brewhouse. Simply Spike Lemonade is new to the CBH with four... Bold, full-flavored, fizzy choices for you to enjoy. The Regina Red Sox held their annual fundraising dinner on the weekend. Ryan and Chris Getzlaff both on the stage to answer questions from yours truly and Brendan McGuire. It's a great night as uh, we raise some really good money for the Regina Red Sox as their season about to fire up in May here. Can't wait to be at the ballpark at Curry Field. Make sure you get your tickets. Go to ReginaRedSocks.com. And thanks to Regina Sports Royalty, Ryan and Chris Getzlaff, for helping out the local team. This has been your Red Sox Report. Every time Saskatchewan gets in second and long, they've been bringing Glenn Suter up on the outside.
0: Sometimes they blitz him, sometimes
8: they don't. But when he's blitzed, he's had success. And
0: time for press coverage. As former Ryder greats and veteran CFL football broadcaster Glenn Suter shares his unique and passionate perspective about the league we love with Ryder Nation.
2: Brought to, you. Brought to you by Quality Tire with nine locations in Saskatchewan to serve you. Check them out at qualitytire.ca. Let's head out to the Western Pizza hotline. Get it hot, get it fast. Western Pizza. SFU alum, Ryder Plaza of Honor inductee, uh, great cup champ, and best analyst on TV well in the country actually on TSN it is Glenn Suter thanks for joining me my friend uh, I don't want to beat it to a, to a pulp but we should keep it in the news it, it, it doesn't really need any help what an embarrassing situation at your alma mater any update for us
7: well yeah there's uh, you know more and more people that are being added to the uh, support of the, of the student athletes that um, have had this happen and you know, this is just uh, the court injunction is coming up on May 3rd. It will be read by a judge then. Uh, we're hoping and confident that that will go our way and that the season will be reinstated immediately. And then from there, we can work on strengthening the program for the future and, and possibly returning to youth sports is, is uh, something that's been discussed. Uh, internally here, uh, and I know that the U Sports people in Canada West have been notified, and and no one wants to see uh, the loss of a football program in our country. So, um, you know, it's it's all hands on deck here. We we talk and and have Zoom calls pretty much every night, Michael. And uh, mothers are getting involved, and politicians, and you know, tons and tons of alumni. Amar Doman, as you know, is going to match and donation that happens tomorrow we're going to be pledged opening up for one full day of pledges to to commit to pledging money to the program we can, if we can reinstate it and then the program continues forever and goes on in 24 then let's strengthen it and that's that's the goal so there's two things that we're fighting right now one is to get the season back and get those guys back on the field and make sure they keep their scholarships and all of that. And then the second simultaneously is to strengthen the program for the future. So, um, you know, we're
8: optimistic. We're optimistic.
2: How does anybody there on that side, keep their jobs in management up there on that side? I mean, I don't, kids are having to get their stuff out of garbage bags now, probably sort through the garbage bags as to what equipments theirs or personal belongings are theirs. Um, and you really haven't got a straight answer. Like, it, is it money? It's not money because we've got money on this side. It's not a place to play because there was a place to play. Uh, uh, there was a complex process to get into the Can West, which reeks to me of a agenda and b laziness. Have are we ever going to get a straight answer? And with this overwhelming support suits, I don't see how the university doesn't get a, gets around this, and it's not going to die. Yeah. Well, we've, already, we've had over 11,000
7: people sign the petition. The students are getting very active on campus now. The Student Society, uh, they're really upset because, you know, you, whether you're a football fan or play on the team or uh related to someone on the team, but if you're a student up at SFU, you're concerned with your own programs. You know, what if, what if just arbitrarily the president and the AD decide that they're going to cancel some other sport or maybe a, one of the programs that you have enrolled to say, you know, I'll just throw something out there, but what if they just say, you know, kinesiology, we're, we're just, we're not going to do that anymore after two years of investment by students and things like that. So, you know, I, it's, they haven't really given an answer. Uh, I'm sure they will have to on May 3rd when the judge reads this uh, case. Um, again, we we, you know, I'll give you an example of how just how bad this has been, Michael. Uh, just a couple of days ago, the the players were not allowed to go into their locker room, basically locked out of their locker room, and they had all their a lot of a lot of their personal possessions in there. And they weren't allowed to go in. And then uh, just a couple of days ago, all of their stuff was put in bags and dropped in the corner. Some of it was, uh, you know, that misplaced. And the, the players had no say in it and were not notified. I mean, this, this is like, the, the things that are going on in this case are just, you can't get wrap your head around how an administration can get away with this? So we're we're going to keep fighting this, and you know, May Third a big day.
2: Yeah, it is, and we'll uh, we'll keep it going too here on this end because our buddy Glenn Suter, big time uh, CFL alumni. Now, uh, I think uh, we need to promote uh, good things too uh, in a positive light. Mm-hmm. Uh, CFL office. Slash teams invest $3.1 million in amateur football in 2022. Um, And and I take this SFU thing. uh, Jim Mullen said it best on my show, and I agree with him. It's kind of like NATO. You attack one of us, you attack us all. And in a roundabout way, I think it's good for the Canadian game that in a way we've been attacked. And to see the overwhelming support that, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We may have been um, lazy in terms of uh, our passion for Canadian football at times at the amateur level but when something like this happens it kind of awakens us i think it's a good thing in a way
5: yeah and we've
7: got to we got to bring it up and promote it and let people know that this is what's happening you know when you're, when your kids are real excited and they come home from their flag football game and they've they've built a, a small community on their team that they're you know this is this is their people and friends that they'll have for their entire lives and, and life lessons learned by playing the game that you will see in their everyday life as their parent. When they come home, you know, keep in mind that the Canadian Football League, through 50 50 and a lot of different promotions and uh, coaching camps that the players are involved in, the CFL supports not only financially, but in a lot of time spent to to keep developing amateur football and and yes we'd love to keep on doing it and having that grow I, you know I am I am really excited about what the league office is doing uh, this off season I, I've really seen a shift Michael I don't know if you have but I've seen a real shift to to sort of just leaning into our country our game amateur football you saw the initiative today with the when it comes to the officiating
0: mm-hmm.
7: um and, and that and that they're going to try to grow that put more money into it not because our guys aren't doing a good job because they're doing a great job and darren hackwood is outstanding as the leader of that group but um you know they they you know to have more people involved and more competition in it and more money you know i i've been saying if there's any more revenues that that the teams in the league start to see the first priority should be to inject more of those revenues into officiating and again not because if we pay them more they're going to be better because they're good now what what it does is it creates um you know a real push for young people young people that are playing college football right now that Mm -hmm. say you know i probably am not going to play pro Football, but I'd love to stay in the game and officiating. If I could make you know eighty grand a year, let's say, um, that'd be a pretty good way to make a living. Yeah, stay involved with the game, and all of a sudden you'll have four or five hundred kids or young men, young women that are that are in these officiating camps, and now the competition becomes great, and it's and you and you're picking the best of the of of the bunch.
2: You know, uh, Glenn Suter, I um. You know, especially since watching these NHL playoffs. Uh, you know that I go to game three. I, I'm an Oilers fan, but I go to game three. Oilers Kings. The puck hits a high stick. Anybody that says it doesn't hit a high stick has no idea what they're watching. Like I, it's it's embarrassing. You go to replay and you still get it wrong. When you think about what these leagues NHL, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and I think actually Major League Baseball, um's do a great job. To be quite honest with you, with their eyesight and how it's bang bang, but. When you think about the resources that are put into our Canadian Football League officials, relative to those other leagues, we—I've we, jumped on officials here, and I probably will again because you—you don't always agree with officials, but they do a good job in the CFL. Well,
7: we'll—you know—we—we we will both, uh, from our broadcast position, uh, question some calls this year. I can guarantee you that. Mm. <laughs> but. You're, but you're absolutely right. And, and you know, again, if if there's more revenues in in the Canadian Football League, as we're hearing there are from a lot of different initiatives, and it's starting to grow, then the first priority should be twofold, officiating and, and the minimum wage for players. Um, you know, I've been saying for a long time that I'd, I'd like to see if there's new money that can be injected into the player's share of revenues. That it starts to increase the the floor rather than push the ceiling higher, and you know i I think officiating would be the number one priority uh, again, I want to be real clear because I, I think they're have the toughest job with our rules and the motion unlimited motion, everybody can be moving at the same time, very different than than American football um, they they do a fantastic job, and darren hackwood's um, openness to communicate both with mistakes that are made or just with me in, or Dwayne Ford or whomever calling a game. You know that we are communicating with the command center and Darren Hackwood and I, at halftime of most games, I can send Darren Hackwood a quick email on a call that I thought was questionable and he will give me a great explanation as to why and I will relay that to the fans. So you know, I, I I can't you know praise them enough on and and Hackwood on on how he's managing what he has. But you're right. Let's let's get as many as much money as we can afford to to officiating to give them more resources, create more competition, and get more people interested in it.
2: We'll be back with more of press coverage for Quality Tire with Glenn Suter in a minute on six twenty
0: CKRM. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.
2: Thanks to my buddy Blaine Weiland operating the other side of the board. He's our sports reporter, but he's subbing in for Sean Kleisinger, who's uh, doing a solid for his grandfather. His grandfather passed away, always wanted to go watch soccer in England. So he uh, in, the, in the will, he got money from his grandpa, and he's going... Uh, Right now, watching Premier League soccer over there in England. Didn't want to tell anybody about it because he didn't want to be looked upon as a bad dad because he's going because he got his wife and his kid back here. But he uh, gave them some of the pot, and they're going on a different uh, little trip. So that's cool. It's nice. I saw him at the airport on Sunday, so wish him all the best. It takes a lot of stones to go by yourself over to England. That's
6: a, That's why he was a little bit secretive to me while yeah, he was gone. Yeah, he, he didn't really, say. He didn't, he didn't give really, any
2: hits. He didn't really want to brag about it. He said it at the end of the show on Friday, kind of snuck it in at the end. So I think it's good for zinger he works real hard all right let's keep our conversation going with glenn Suter. suits you had mentioned something about uh a t uh, about uh, officiating and things like this i want to bring this up listen i uh i am so disinterested in nba basketball i think they're soft as puppy poo in fact charles barkley on a broadcast the other day uh, was distracted and he said hey, i wasn't even watching this and uh Barkley on NBA and TNT. Halftime Wolves Nuggets. I was watching hockey, not going to lie. This game is boring as hell. So that's kind of like me. So I was with my son in North Dakota. We watched XFL, USFL, going back and forth just to check it out. Football's football, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I got I to gotta say, I don't understand how these leagues think they're doing themselves any justice by competing against each other? Just muddying the product? If I have to pick, I'm picking the XFL because they got really nice jerseys and they're actually uh, trying to build a fan base in different cities instead of three in one hub and three in another hub. But I wonder as a TV guy if you've watched much I brought this up before, and I don't know what the cost would be on it, Glenn, but I would love to see, and you know that you've got those uh, overhead cameras now on the line, and the NFL does that, and they run guys out on the field, the camera. That started actually in the XFL. That came out of the first XFL in 2001. So there are some good things that come out of these leagues. I was, I really like Dean Blandino in the booth saying, yeah, we got to catch. we got And he's talking to the official, and you can see that. So it so then he get away from hating on the officials so much I don't know what the cost would be on that but is is that something TSN has ever considered
7: yes yeah we've talked about it many times you have to have the right guy you know you have to have a guy that can communicate that can message that can can do it in a short amount of time make a you know a solid point and not wander um, you know there's there's lots of sort of criteria because he has to be obviously a former official better if he's a former head official and maybe even spent time in the replay booth. So all of those things are you know should be part of his resume and then if he can communicate well and keep in mind in in Canadian football we have half the time basically and I know in real time it's it's closer than 20 seconds versus 40 but mm-hmm. um you know we we have a quick we have a quick turnaround and not a lot of time. That's why we we sometimes will play one replay and that's why Coach Dickinson, who, by the way, I listen to every time you have him on the show. It's, it's an awesome uh, mm. segment. Um, but, you know, Coach Dickinson and all the coaches in the league would love us to show every replay all the time when it comes to challenges and things like that. And sometimes we just don't have time to get there. So, you know, with all that said, yes, we have uh, discussed that. It would certainly make my job easier
2: because <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. now
7: – I now I just defer to the rep and the fans could not get yelling at me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no kidding.
7: No matter what I I say there, Michael, half the fans watching the game
2: are mad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hey, so uh, the NFL draft's coming up on Thursday. We've got our draft May 2nd. We're doing it on the radio here, doing our part on 620 CKRM, the voice of Rough Riders football. We are going to cover it from pillar to post, uh, incorporate you, incorporate John Hodge, Don Hewitt, the professor. It'll be more of an overview of the league than just the draft, but we're trying to do our best that night. Uh, I always thought, I just said it on this, show, if you were listening, I thought the CFL should do something like that. Paper the place. Give people drink tickets. Give them a jersey. Uh, even if they're not Ticat fans, it looks like you got a bunch of people. for A made-for-TV event instead of just a commissioner standing in front of a podium and then the rest of it's online. You know what I'm saying?
7: Yeah, I, I love the idea. I mean, you know, I, I think you start again in the, in the hubs. You start in Saskatchewan. You start in Winnipeg. The You know, the mm-hmm. teams that are you have the the real cool and great fan bases, and and you know they support it. And if it was in a you know massive pub, or if it was in a uh, you know one of the big convention center rooms, or something like that, with I uh, think I think it would be great. You know, our, our draft. The challenge the challenge with a TV show or a big event is that our draft. Well, it's probably more important to the teams than any other draft in any other sport. It is, it is, it, it, it doesn't have the flash of, you know, the first two or three picks being quarterbacks or, you know, the, you know, the Conor Bedard sweepstake and how that's going to be so intriguing because he's the best player available and he's a, a generational player and who, which team is going to get Conor Bedard you know, the, the, we don't, in the CFL, our draft does not have that. But I, I'd love to see this. I would love to see this as a TV show at TSN. And I I proposed it, and, you know, I don't make those decisions. That's a few floors above wherever I've been in, the TSN building. But,
2: hmm.
7: you know, the, the proposition I put out there, and I wrote it down, you know, and I, I gave them an actual, uh, you know, submitted a proposal, was to have a Canadian content um, preview show. So how were the Saskatchewan Rough Riders using their Canadian content last year, their best Canadians profiles on those guys um, looking forward to what they're going to have for this coming training camp. And then within that show, you have the first two or three rounds of the draft of the Canadian college draft. So you start with Saskatchewan, it's a preview of the Canadians that are playing on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And then you interject the, or you drop in the, the draft. And, uh, you know, let's say first round pick by Saskatchewan is an offensive lineman out of, you know, University of, of Saskatchewan Huskies. And, and he goes first and the riders have him and here's this guy. And then you profile him. So it, it works as kind of a Canadiana preview show to the season with the draft mixed in there. I, I'd love to see it. It could be a two-hour special, maybe even longer, Um and we could be see the whole time at TSN promoting a full-on preview show coming up in mid-May or whenever it is. So, you know, I there's, there's ways to do this that I think would be very entertaining and would get viewers. It's just a matter of, well, we got to start
2: is. you got to start money and who plays for it. You got to start somewhere though, Glenn. You're right. The quarterbacks we don't have that that's our fault. Not uh not anybody else's fault. That's uh that's uh a mentality at the league level, so that's a, that's something you can't get around. Um, we also have the the problem some Canadians go in the NFL draft, so you don't you know there there might not be some guys that are going to be at our draft because they're already uh, busy at the NFL and you don't know if they're going to sign there or not. So that that's an added thing. But if you remember, you watch those old uh, there's a thirty for thirty, I believe it's uh, Elway to Marino, okay, and it it, it shows in the 1983 draft. It was in a little hotel room. All these guys sitting at their tables. It was not the pomp and pageantry that it is now, You gotta start somewhere. You gotta put the bricks down somewhere and build the house. So we have to do something instead of saying, I'm not saying this about you, but instead of saying, well, we don't have it or nobody care, I've heard this from, well, nobody cares about the Canadian, nobody knows anything about them. Well, that's the whole point. Kind of like you said. When these guys get to the NFL draft, everybody knows who Bryce Young is. Nobody knows who the hell Bryce Young is till they start pumping his tires. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I I disagree with that, too, and
7: I've heard it many times that nobody cares. Uh, I I totally disagree with that. I mean, our TV numbers for the CFL, as you know, are as good as anything that we do on the network or better most of the time. So, you know, you take, you know, even 10%, 20% of that, and you've got a pretty good rating for a TV show that, you know, let's say there's a profile on Keon Schaefer-Baker, talks about how Craig Dickinson, when it's Saskatchewan's pick, talked about how Craig Dickinson used his Canadian talent last year and where he would like to see improvement this year. And then we talk about the three or four prospects and where they went to school and who, you know, we can make our predictions on who may be drafted in that pick. And then we have the draft, and then we go to Calgary, and we do the same thing Mm. for that team. I I think it would be entertaining. I, I think people would get a bit of a preview, and it is Canadiana as you can get. So to me, that checks a lot of boxes. Glenn, thanks for your time. We'll talk
2: again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, Michael. Glenn Suter, press coverage to wrap up the show. That'll do it for our show. Blaine will put it up in a podcast form coming up very soon. You've been listening to The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.